there is a lot going on in financial markets and the economy right now, probably too much, that could be characterized as insane and not be all that hyperbolic. But this one, this one might be the most insane, mind-boggling, staggering of them all. And it's not something that you would usually associate with those terms. But it really is just absolutely astounding. Now, yesterday, the U.S. Treasury auctioned off two different bills, Treasury bills. There was the four-week instrument as well as the eight-week instruments. And the results that came back were insane, really insane. At the four-week auction, a bunch of people showed up, usual counterparties, everybody bidding various prices for these instruments. And the high yield, which means the, the highest yield, lowest price the Treasury accepted in selling off the, the allotment of bills was 3.61%. The median, which is the median for all the bids and all the acceptable prices that the Treasury accepted, was 3.5%. And the low auction yield, which represents where 5% th where of all of acceptable bids were placed, so around and below 3.4%. For just a reminder, the Federal Reserve's RRP is currently right now at 4.3%. High of 361, median of 350, low of 344 for a four-week instrument. But even more crazy than that, we've got the eight-week Treasury bill, which is just getting into the territory where there should be another rate hike to the RRP down the road. But still, the high yield at the eight-week auction yesterday was 3.985%. Remember, RRP 430. The median, 388. And here's just, again, insane. The low auction rate accepted, representing 5% of all bids accepted at the auction, 3.1. And I checked this several times last night because that seems like a typo. How in the world could somebody be buying, somebody, could a lot of somebody's be buying eight-week treasury bills that are yielding only 3.1%. Because that's what's really astounding here. And that's why we always compare it to the RRP. Because if you have cash to invest in a short-run basis, why in the world would you price a treasury bill to yield only 3.1% when you could take the same cash and put it at the Federal Reserve for eight weeks straight and get at least 430, if not toward the end of that eight-week period, a little bit more than that. It's completely risk-free. It's even collateralized at the, at the Federal Reserve. That's why it's called the reverse repo. Why are so many financial counterparties bidding for treasury bills at such obscene prices that they're yielding, their returns are so much less than what is so easy to do with the Fed? I'm going to read you a quote that kind of, kind of kicks off our conversation here. Reserves may be inferior assets to treasury bills. For whatever, for what reasons are reserves inferior to treasury bills? Basically, reserves can be held only by a restricted set of financial institutions, while T-bills are more widely held and are useful as collateral in financial transactions, example, repurchase agreements, in ways that reserves are not. Now, when I first showed this quote on social media, I think it was on Twitter, people said, you wrote that, didn't you? But actually, no. That came from the St. Louis Fed back in 2017, when we saw the same phenomena pop up, but to a much lesser extent. T 
T-bill prices were fall or T-bill yields were falling before below the floor because T-bill prices were exceptionally high due to demand for a utility as collateral that has nothing to do with the return characteristics. Now this is not something that, you know, the St. Louis Fed study that was it was it's publicly available, but it's not something that's widely shared in public because the Federal Reserve, the financial media, they all want you to believe the opposite of what this economist was saying. That reserves are the only form, they're the, the base money, the high powered money, nothing else matters, it's all about reserves. When in fact we see so many cases where it's actually not. So what does this all mean? Why this huge demand for T-bills as collateral we're going to start down that rabbit hole today. We'll get a little bit down the hole. I'm going to put some put some numbers behind all of this stuff. Really insane, mind-boggling mind numbers to see if we can't really piece together what's going on right now toward the end of December 2022. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, if you're interested in really going all the way down the Eurodollar rabbit hole, the collateral rabbit hole, check out the memberships we have available at Eurodollar University, as well as the research subscriptions, my daily briefing, as well as deep dive analysis. There is a end of year Christmas Hanukkah sale going on at Markets, Markets Insider Pro. Uh, there's also values in bundling memberships and MIP deep dive analysis, all the information about all that stuff at eurodollar.university where the we get down into the deep dives because it really does go way deep down into these rabbit holes. Now as far as treasury bills go, let's start with the simple stuff, the real easy stuff, and that's supply. Because supply is something that we can all see and appreciate and it's intuitive. The Treasury Department sells off Treasury bills because it has to finance the federal government's ridiculously absurd, insane on its own level, fiscal deficits. And the way that the Treasury Department does that is if there's a short-run disruption, if there's a short-run unexpected increase in the deficit, such as March and April of 2020, the federal government is going to issue a lot of short-term Treasury bills into the market because that's easier to sell than maybe longer-term instruments. However, good standing practice at the Treasury Department also recognizes that the last thing you want to sell into the marketplace is Treasury bills if you expect interest rates to be rising. Because why would you want a bunch of short-term debt that you have to roll over at higher and higher and higher interest costs? So if you believe interest rates are going to be rising, then you want to start terming out your debt so that you can lock in low interest rates while you have the opportunity. And lo and behold, the Treasury, Depart Treasury Department secretary is, of course, Janet Yellen, former Federal Reserve chairman, who is obviously in, in close conversation with the current Federal Reserve chairman who worked underneath her, Mr. Jay Powell. And Mr. Jay Powell, as you probably realize, has been pretty uh, upfront, pretty clear about his intentions for interest rates. He says interest rates are not only high enough or not, not high enough where they are, they need to go much higher down the road. And the Treasury Department is taking Mr. Powell at his word, which means that after listening to primary dealers who all summer into the fall said, we want Treasury bills, and the Treasury Department began to auction off 
more and more of those treasury bills, including the eight-week and the four-week instruments, over the last several weeks, going back to the end of November, Treasury Department has been listening to the Federal Reserve and Jay Powell, thinking that interest rates are going to go up. They've been cutting back on the issuance of Treasury bills. In fact, the eight-week and four-week used to be uh, in that one period in late October into November, Treasury was auctioning off regularly $65 billion every week. That's been paired back to first $55 billion and now just $45 billion in both of those instruments. So in one hand, we see that the supply has been again restricted, which has been a consistent problem all along, which does account for some level of that, some, some degree of price behavior at these auctions because there are fewer and fewer bills. But why is there so much pressing demand for them regardless of the supply? So lower supply obviously is not helpful, but that can't explain why the eight-week low yield was 3.10%. There's so much incredible demand for these instruments. And again, remember what the St. Louis Fed quote said, that treasury bills in particular are useful as collateral in financial transactions in ways that reserves are not. And they use the example of repurchase agreements, a repo, which is standard collateralized practice. But there's all sorts of other stuff that go on in the collateral system that drive demand, at times, drive demand to insane proportions like we see now. It isn't just so simple where if I have cash to lend, I find a borrower who has a security, they put up collateral so that the risk is, is very low on my part, which means if the risk is very low lending cash, I don't need a whole lot of return. So I have a safe outlet for my cash. The borrower has a relatively cheap cost of funding. It's really simple. It's an overnight transaction or a short-term transaction. So it's easy to replicate throughout the financial system. It sounds like this should be very straightforward stuff, but that is far, far, far from the case. And it has been this way from the very beginning. And I've talked about this in prior episodes as, prior, as well as in prior articles and things here. I'll put a couple of links in the description below in case you're interested in some more of the history here. But let's just Let's just start with a simple example, like one that I used in the recent, uh, well, not a recent, but one of our foundational member videos where we talk about the, the, in the classroom videos about some of the basic propositions here. Assume that you're a hedge fund. You're a hedge fund that wants to, buy, wants, wants to purchase a risky asset. And of course you wanna leverage that uh, asset as much as you possibly can because that's the way you maximize returns. Repo sounds like tailor-made for that type of strategy because you put up the asset as collateral and you get cheap funding. Wouldn't it be even better if you could get the cheapest form of funding and the maximum amount of leverage, but you can't do that by using a risky instrument as the collateral that you post in the repo market. So rather than using some this junk bond that you intend to fund with this repo borrowing, you contact your local dealer or one of the large dealers and say, I have only this junk bond that I wanna to, want to fund in the repo market, wouldn't it? Do you have any way of giving me a U.S. Treasury, U.S. Treasury bills, in fact, that are the best, most uh, pristine and acceptable forms of collateral that I can use in repo markets transactions? And the dealer says, no, I probably don't have any either, but I know lots of people who do, and I can let you use one of theirs. 
So the hedge fund that goes into the repo market to borrow the cash to buy the risky security that it wants to invest and leverage up on is doing so using somebody else's collateral that has been repledged and reused at least twice and probably more than twice. This securities lending and collateral transformation practice means that there is a constant churn of repledging and reuse throughout these transactions. And it's not just repo. It's also derivative transactions, which you might recall, we just heard something about that from the BIS, something about 80 trillion or something. Collateral is an essential part of the way the modern monetary system works and has worked for decades. Let's put some numbers on this. And the numbers I'm gonna use here, as usual on this channel, everything I try to use, 99.9%, .9 is all publicly available information. And so we're gonna do the same thing here. This is information that I've drawn from the SEC's Edgar. So these are company filings, in this case, bank filings, in, in the deep in the footnotes of bank balance sheet statements. It's not really that hard to find, even though there's hundreds and hundreds of pages if you know what you're looking for. So this is from JP Morgan, their latest 10K for the quarter ending at the end of September. And if you just search for the term repledge, you get to this particular section in the balance sheet. When it tells you that, as of September 30th uh, this year, JP Morgan had the right to reuse or sell or do something with 1.34 trillion in potential collateral securities. Now that's down from the end of last year, which was 1.47 trillion. Yes, trillion with a T. Now the amount of collateral that was reused, repledged, sold, or redone in some fashion at the end of the, the last quarter, it was 1.04 trillion, which was down from 1.11 trillion. So not as significant. JP Morgan is still reusing, repledging, and, and doing all of these things uh, to a substantial degree. And this is what JP Morgan says about this. Collateral is generally reused under repurchase and other securities financing agreements to cover short sales and to collateralize derivative contracts and deposits. Now I know these are huge numbers and in some ways it's like gross notionals and derivatives. You don't wanna get overwhelmed by, oh my God, there's a trillion in collateral that's being reused here because a lot of that is just st standard repo. And part of the problem is these bank balance sheets, the footnotes, they don't tell us all that much other than these gross values. So we have to do a lot of detective work to understand exactly what's going on in terms of the details. And we only get these values every quarter. Let's do a couple more before we get into the details. Uh, Goldman Sachs, one I always look at. Uh, uh, as of the end of September 30th, 899 billion in collateral available to reuse in some fashion. That's down, that's down a lot from 1.06 trillion that was posted at the end of September last year. Uh, the amount that Goldman actually did reuse in some format or use in some form, 742 billion down from 875 billion. One more, let's go, let's just, again, these numbers you'll find at all the big banks all across, not just the US banks, but also foreign banks. Uh, Morgan Stanley, 630 billion down from 672 at the end of last year. They actually did reuse 489 billion, which is a little bit less than the 510 billion last year. So just from these numbers, number one, you see, these are huge numbers. There's a lot of this collateral stuff going on, even if we don't know exactly what the details are. And number two, 
This year, the values of collateral being used or being that are available to be reused, they're kind of ticking lower. Now that could be the market value of the collateral being posted. I mean, fixed income has been selling off all over the place. It could be fewer collateral that has been made available with the rights to repledge. We don't know because nobody tells us this thing, tells us anything about this stuff. And here's what Morgan Stanley said about it. A couple parts I wanna, I wanna highlight here. The firm pledges certain of its trading assets to collateralize securities sold under re agreements to repurchase, standard repo, securities loaned, which is that simple example I gave you, the hedge fund, other secured financings and derivatives contracts and to cover customer short sales. Counterparties may or may not have the right to sell or repledge the collateral, which means that last part, Morgan Stanley is reusing somebody else's collateral as well as its own. And when they use and reuse their collateral, the people that they're giving it to might have the right to use and reuse their collateral again. So we have this constant churn and reuse rate. And all of it is governed by the way these dealers behave. And if dealers become risk averse, that might mean that they're a little bit less willing to reuse and repledge at the same rates that they had before. The entire collateral multiplier begins to shrink. And as it begins to shrink, that leaves the hedge funds or some of the other counterparties that had depended upon securities lending practices for, their main, for maintaining their portfolio positions and whatnot, they're now, I no longer have that treasury that I was borrowing from the dealer. I've got to find an alternate route. And what happens is more and more people, more and more financial participants get herded into the better and better quality collateral that is usable at all times, treasury bills. So when treasury bill prices skyrocket, as they did throughout the 2007 and 8 crisis, as they have at times this year, that tells us something about what must be going on in all of these dealer repledging, reusing the, the collateral multiplier. And the problem is we don't know any of these things. All we have is these snippets on bank balance sheet footnotes because officials keep trying to cram bank reserves down our throat as if bank reserves are the end all be all of monetary existence when they are not. And they have to tell you that because it's the only way to maintain the illusion that the Federal Reserve is a central bank. Now, when we look around at some of the financial markets, because again, this is all an information black hole, we have to piece together what must be going on. We look at, we look at the treasury bill prices. We look at other collateral prices like Japanese government bond bills, which happen to correlate very closely with what we're seeing in treasury bills because of its own, its own particular reuse and usefulness in this global collateral stream. You can also look at Italian bond spreads, which are gone up again, repo fails, a number of financial market indications that all together, along with these absolutely insane uh, treasury bill auction results and even secondary market prices today, which are just ridiculous, there is a massive amount of demand for bills that are already restricted in supply because something not good is happening deep inside the bowels of this collateral blob. 
something is happening. And when we look at all of these market prices, we look at put all the pieces together. It tells us like back in September or the middle of uh, back in the middle of June into July, they're likely a collateral squeeze of some substantial some substantial proportions taking place right now. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. Again, huge, huge thank you for all the Eurodollar University members as well as our research subscribers. And a Merry Christmas to everyone and Happy Hanukkah. And I'll even say an early Happy New Year to you all. Thank you again for joining me. Thank you again for support and, and, and subscribing to our research products. All the information at eurodollar.university. We'll see you again next week. Until then, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah. Take care.